You bastard, said Sunus wearily. I don't know why I don't stab you here in this alley so I can be annexed of Sunus and Atolia. They were twisting through the narrowest of passages, turning on what seemed to be a whim from one walkway to the next. Well, the stabbing would be unkind, said Eugenides, but you can have the annex part with my goodwill. Not Atolia's. True, said the king. Better not stab me. Jen, Sunus said, and halted. Atolus, who had already lightly descended a crooked stair, turned back at the bottom and looked up at him. Yes? Sunus didn't know what to say. She cut off my hand? Jen asked. If a screen adaptation of this doesn't include a shot of somebody awake in the house next to them, quietly going, what the hell? <laughs> then what? Like, what's the point of even making it? oblivious barmaids i'm noelle and i'm caitlin and this is the atolian archives your queen's thief reread podcast to help you recover from return of the thief it's november 15th 2020 and this is a conspiracy of kings chapter 15 i love this chapter i want to marry this chapter and have little half human half chapter babies (laughs) (laughs) Ugh, it's definitely one of the nicest ones this is one of Nothing the ones that really just... happens. <laughs> it's just a good time. It's just two bros going out, having a little boys' night. This is one of the ones when I'm having a bad day, I just open it to this chapter. I'm like, ah, oh. because you you spent the whole book waiting for them to be friends again, and now they are. <laughs> They're sneaking out like teens in a rom com. And Jen wakes him up in the middle of the night, which he's done previously to people in a threatening way. But this is a friendly, I've come into your bedroom in the middle of the night. And then they go out to a bar. Uh, these bars are open late. It's not like Boston, where in the 1600s some Calvinists decided that alcohol was the devil water and now we we can't stay out past 2am. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think this is the first glimpse we get that Jen does go out by himself on his own into the city as king. Is that right? Did we get any of that in King of Atolia? There's a short story. Wine shop, maybe? Wine shop, yeah. It's the one with the coin, and he's not going to be able to stay anonymous for much longer, and Talaeus goes to get him. I think that in terms of publishing order, we've already seen that, but I don't know how much we're counting the short stories, like, in the actual continuity. Yeah, I don't know, because there's not really any way to establish when in the series the wine shop scene even happened. So he's done it by himself, but never with a friend. (laughs) We assume, but what if he's taken the queen? Oh my god. I know. I know. I feel like she can't. I can't picture her doing normal stuff. Can you picture her in regular clothes? No. Sitting in a regular place? Can you picture her at TGI Fridays? (laughs) I guess her face has been on the money a lot longer than his face has been on the money. And she's more recognizable, but can't you just imagine him begging for like a year? And then she says, fine. (laughs) How good a likeness can possibly be on a coin? That is a good point. Like, they talk about it like, oh, he's not going to be able to stay anonymous for much longer because his face is on the coins. It's a coin! And also, he had already been going into that one wine shop long enough to 
to have a reputation to the patrons as someone dangerous to cross because he has a hook on the end of his right hand. So, like, it seems they didn't put that together. With who could this be? I mean, I guess he he can't be the only person in the entire country who only has a left hand. But still. Sure. The combination of hook on the right hand, (sighs) small man... Dark skin. Luxedesian, probably, yeah. Although, do people do, do, do people know that he's short in the in in the the broad populace of Atolia, or is that a, a closely guarded state <laughs> secret, do you think? So this chapter, Tonga's between referring to him as Eugenides, Atolis, and Jen, but I feel like it's more... And the king as yeah, well. Yeah, and the king. But it, I think it's... I feel like it's definitely more Eugenides and Jen than we've gotten before in the book, would you say? Mm-hmm. I think this is, this might even be the first time that the narration flips back to Jen. And it's only for part of the chapter. It's yeah. only for when they are sitting at the table and having an honest conversation. And talking about, you know, stuff from the thief, like Ambiitis or whatever. Oh, also, I think it's, isn't it also when... When they're sneaking through the palace, it says, like, Jen evaded all the posted guards. Again, as a as a throwback to the thief. Yeah. So, I feel like whenever Sophos thinks specifically back to their time together, that's when he's making the most connection with the name Jen. And there's that comparison between when they're sneaking out of the palace now and when they escaped the fortress at the end of the thief and how it feels like they're doing the same thing even though the the situation is so different yeah and i love that tiny sneaking out of the palace scene because we get that juxtaposition of like it feels exactly like it did years ago when this was mortal danger but then it it ends with they you know they the guard turns and they can just walk out because they are the rulers of a country now so just yeah like just throws eris a coin to compensate for the rating he'll get from the captain of my guard. He knows that that Teleus is going to chew Eris out for letting him go. Which, by itself, is also kind of crazy. Like, what does Teleus think Aris could have done? Be like, no, hey, don't you want to go back to bed? Um, I don't think I can let <laughs> right? you through. <laughs> they would have had to go wake up Costas. I want to know so bad. Is Costas still around in this book and Sophos just doesn't know him or is he already in the disease I know like I guess I think of that when I see Eris in this scene I know because he's just there casually because he's a person who's there yeah and you only know it's Aris because uh Jen calls him by name so like Costas could be within five feet <laughs> of Sophos for this yeah, whole book you would never know yeah I think um maybe the return of the thief like timeline will help get us some clarity on that, but, like, not really. It's interesting to think about that in terms of how you can be in a person's life and be really important to them, and there's another person who's in their life and is really important to them in a different context, and you just don't know that person at all. Who designed this place? Who built the hidden doors? Who knows about them? It's said somewhere, maybe in... I think in King of Atoli, it said somewhere that, like, seven different architects built the palace, or, like, additions to it, or whatever, and then in, what was it, in, like, 
Yeah, at the end of Queen of Vitolia, um, Jen is dancing with the queen, and she's telling him about the history of the palace, and she says he says that his great-grandfather was one of the architects. Ha-ha! <laughs> convenient! <laughs> so that's, that feels a little bit preordained. Yeah. And he's, um, I think it says somewhere, maybe at the end of this book, that um, it's that same great-grandfather architect, what's his name, Ike, Ikenos something something, who had the dream of Moira's library and built a library. Something that I want to think about is that Sophos isn't seeing, speaking of Moira, he's not seeing her anymore. And if it feels like he had this connection to the gods when he was in Hanaktos's fields, and now he no longer has that. Now they've kind of left him on his own. Which is kind of strange, because... You know, in the fields, he's he said to Edith earlier, like, whatever, in the fields I was no one, and now I'm a king, but a king without a country, so it's interesting that maybe, like, it feels like she was, Moira was telling him all these things and visiting him then to help him with the choice of whether or not he wants to become something else. Yeah, and the choices he has to make now, I mean, it feels like he could use some help with those, too. But he has other help with those now. Yeah. The other monarchs, yeah, I guess. Yeah, it was sort of his time of greatest need. The Hanacto section, it really, it feels almost like a different book. And mm-hmm. that's exaggerated because we're reading it week to week instead of all at once, the way I would normally read it. But it definitely, I think that it... it not only the switch between points of view, but just... It's totally different. Yeah, it's a whole different vibe. Mm -hmm. He already is relying on the other monarchs kind of a lot at this point. And he's still, he's putting a lot of weight on, like, what do you think I should do? Yeah. Like, Atolia thinks she (laughs) just needs to uh, (laughs) straight up annihilate. Just murder him. He even talks to Melhoret about it. Yes. Yeah, he he wants someone to tell him what the solution is. And that's, I mean, it's all leading up to what is underneath that false bottom in that box. Yeah. Because what he wants to be under there is a miraculous solution from Jen. And there is no miraculous solution from Jen. All Jen can do is give him the gun. Um, speaking of guns, I love that we hear that the Atolias sleep with a matched set of guns and pistols in their bed and on the bedposts. <laughs> Ugh. Isn't that sweet? I thought of, like, a house with a mailbox out front that says, The Atolias. <laughs> That's what, he's Mr. Atolia. But I should call him that. Add that to his list of titles. Atolus, Eugenides, Eugenidides, Mr. Atolia. <laughs> Imagine the two of them trying to live in an ordinary house. Well, that they, would be they fun. almost did. I know. Oh my god. I want the fix. Right. That would have been so it. funny, though. Can you imagine? I was about to say, you know, I would get some serious Howl's Moving Castle vibes from... You know, Jen's obsession with clothing, clothing and spending all the money on embroidery and they're running out of food mm-hmm. money. But Megan Wellen Turner said Howell is one of the influences for Jen. <laughs> so 
No surprise. A question that I have about this chapter is Jen references his own account of the adventure in The Thief, which is most of the book, The Thief. He says that he meant to send it to the Magus so that it could be passed on to Sophos so that Sophos could read it, but he never did. And then he looks at the wall as if the solution to that lapse might be there. And uh, so why do you think he never sent it to Sophos? I think, I think there could be a good reason, possibly. I think, you know, that had a lot about the gods and Moira appearing and talking to Jen. I'm like, what if, you know, if Sophos had read this two years ago or whatever, one year ago, whatever, before the story starts, maybe he would, he would look at his dreams with Moira with too critical of an eye and realize this is a goddess, whatever. So, Mm -hmm. I don't know. This is going out on a limb, but maybe, you know, the gods made Jen forget so Sophos couldn't have all that info too quick. Because, you know, there's there's, there's more later about, like, what you know yourself you'll have forever instead of, I don't know. Like, figuring things out for yourself is how you're going to really learn things. The other thing that Jen says about the account is it may be lost now. Which is weird, right? Uh, yeah, I Where thought could that it was be lost? odd. What would, what would have happened to it? Isn't it just on a shelf in Edith's library? Uh, is there a possibility that someone in Edith might have wanted to destroy it? I mean, since we have all this new information post-Return of the Thief about intra edesian tensions mm-hmm. in relation to Jen. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, maybe. Like, it is a record of Jen claiming to have had this encounter with the gods where he's favored by them. I regret that we don't get the direct answer to... Um, Sophos says, like, Jen, and Jen says, uh, yes, and then Sophos can't say anything back, and Jen says, she cut off my hand, and then <laughs> Sophos just skips to, like, oh, did you know when you, uh, fell in love with her? Like, did you know when we were stealing the <laughs> gift? Whatever, so, but I, I want to know <laughs> what Jen would have said to, why are you in love with her when she cut off your hand? <laughs> Yeah, no one wants to talk about it. Mm. It's the elephant. The haha <laughs> elephants. It's the <laughs> elephant in the room. Also, as we've already said, he's he's spinning all of his anger about this on Nehuzer, so like... And I think to a certain extent, Jen accepts his own irrationality. Yeah. But that's hard to justify to other people. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's probably among the reasons why he felt this distance from Sophos. It's not only that he's become this different person who's possibly a threat to Sophos and they have to operate in a blah 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 professional way, but I also think that, like, Jen has done something that may be incomprehensible to the people who love him. Mm-hmm. And they would feel free to ask questions about it as regular strangers who don't know the king can't do. Yeah. And it's not it's not an easy conversation to have. Mm-hmm. Jen calls Sophos puppy, adding to the list of animals that Sophos is associated with in this book. We've got little lion, bunny, puppy, and then there are also a, a bunch of other, yeah, a bunch of other animals in the story. Wolf, sheep, 
and who is represented by which animal gets very muddled. We know that Jen's account of the thief was not actually lost and that Sophos at some point does get access to it and read it because Megan Whalen Turner said so on Tumblr. The one, one time. One of the few things, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of the few questions she has ever actually answered. Can't take it back, Megan. So they go on to talk about the moment that Jen knew that he was in love with Atolia. And Jen says that he was hiding in a takima bush, which uh, a takima plant is not a real plant. But later on, when this gets referenced again, it's called a tamarisk bush, and that is real. I want to know what the deal is with the switch. That was... I imagine it's that in-universe it just has two different names. You know, maybe Edesians call it something different. Hmm, true. Than Atolians. Or it could be a mistake. We get quite a bit in the end of this chapter about Ambiitis. Uh, Sunus says, He would have been a better man under different circumstances. And Jen says, Does a good man let his circumstances determine his character? Key line of the chapter, right there. Bam. You found it, folks. <laughs> there is your moral for the day. <laughs> Because that is something that you know Jen thinks about in relation to himself all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so relevant in Return of the Thief, that question. And he calls his attendance everyone another Ambiitis. I'd had some hope for Philologus, but Sejanus won that round. Jen is normally so perceptive, but he... He's not being perceptive about the attendants because a lot of them, their attitudes have really changed yeah. toward him. And Sophos, coming in with as a new person with new eyes, he has seen that. He remembered Ion's obvious wince at being rated somewhat less significant to Jen than his boots. Jen has, uh, I guess, more or less forgiven the attendants for their past behavior and said like okay we can start fresh but he doesn't feel like they're extending that same that same fresh start to him he's saying they will not cross me but they won't love me either i am not edis people do not hand me their hearts soonest wondered he would have given eugenides his heart on a toothpick if asked jen is one of those people who um he thinks he's better than everybody and also hates himself at the same time like, he doesn't think that the attendants have any reason to love him. He's like, yeah, I suck. I'm way smarter than them, and I whipped their asses at the game of life, but they should hate me because I'm terrible. Yeah, we've talked before about how, you know, his dubious feelings about kingship makes, we think, makes him feel like people have a right to hate him. Mm-hmm. And has he let his circumstances determine his character? Maybe he has. In his own mind. Gonna put my tender heart on a toothpick. <laughs> he would have given Eugenides his heart on a toothpick. It's not about heads on pikes. It's about <laughs> hearts on toothpicks. <laughs> oh, and I love that at the very end, we get more about Teleus's change of heart. His change of opinion. Teleus, the circus this morning was largely at Teleus's insistence. Teleus insisted his guard be involved. He does not like them to be ashamed of me. That's a 180! Yeah. 
Also, Talaeus is, like, he's exerting some influence over Jen. Jen would have just done this basically on his own, but Talaeus is like, no, you have to let the guard in on it. And Talaeus must be appeased. Yeah, and he says he's given that, like, Talaeus will be angry the next morning when he finds out somehow, and how is he going to find out exactly, <laughs> that Jen has gone out. But Jen says, I've given him enough ground. Yeah, they've developed a relationship with give and take. What's Relius doing? Is he in this book? <laughs> is he even in this book? He's just taking a well-deserved nap somewhere. Just like Costas, he could be right there. If he True. is at the court. They do talk about him in this book, at the very least. Relius and Talaeus aren't in this book very much because they are busy <laughs> somewhere else. And do not wish to be disturbed. That's chapter 15. Next time we have some dinner parties and talk of war. Send us your comments, questions, thoughts. Chime in at acholianarchives.tumblr.com. Be blessed in your endeavors. Thank <music> you.